Hello and welcome to Resources Radio, a weekly podcast from Resources for the Future. I'm your host, Daniel Ramey. This week, we talk with RFF fellow Dan Sean about a new working paper that he and several RFF co-authors recently published on the value of advanced energy funding. The study assesses how government funding for research, development, and demonstration of emerging clean energy technologies can help reduce the costs of deploying those technologies in the future. They included advanced nuclear and geothermal energy, carbon capture and storage, electricity storage, and direct air capture of carbon dioxide. Dan and his team also estimated how bringing down these costs can benefit society by reducing air pollution, electricity bills, and more. It's a fascinating and important analysis. Stay with us. Okay, Dan Sean from Resources for the Future, my colleague uh, and second time guest here on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today on Resources Radio. My pleasure, Daniel. So Dan, um, as I just mentioned, you've been on the show before, uh, so I don't want to uh, rehash the past too much, but if you could just remind listeners how you got interested in uh, started to work on environmental issues, I think that would be a great way to start us off. Sure. Uh, so I'll actually give a part two uh, of the answer that I gave before, um, a part of what motivates me to be interested in this work. My father died in his 40s on a summer day years ago, and that caused just an unspeakable amount of grief and loss for my family. And I know that that is true for most others who lose loved ones at early ages. And that really convinced me to uh, uh, to embrace the mission of trying to reduce the number of people who suffer misery. Uh, and, and I think that energy and emission policy is a good way to do that, especially for someone in the U.S. and certain other countries. Um, it's, um, it's not just because of climate change. It's also because of other pollutants, especially fine airborne particulate matter from power plants and cars and industry and fires and other sources. Uh, they cause heart attacks, they cause strokes, they cause respiratory illness, and uh, the estimated number of premature deaths per year globally from fine airborne particulate matter is in the millions. And and the number of deaths per year in the U.S. Uh, from fine airborne particulate matter is in the tens of thousands. It's a shocking problem that not everybody knows about. Um, it's still a shocking problem in the U.S., but it's actually also a success story. Um, the problem is not as bad in the U.S. as it is still in a lot of other parts of the world. And that is because policies influenced by RFF researchers and other researchers have greatly reduced the air pollution in the U.S. When my dad died, there were hundreds of thousands of people who died per year as a result of air pollution, you know, who had heart attack, strokes, cardiovascular problems, et cetera, earlier uh, because of air pollution. Now it's down to tens of thousands per year. So I would argue that much more ought to be done, but um, there, is a, there is a track record of success in making it the problem uh, at least um, considerably smaller than it used to be. And I hope that that can happen in elsewhere in the world as well. Indeed. And well, first of all, thank you for sharing that. I didn't know that story about about your dad. And um, and it's really fascinating to hear how 
much of a motivating factor that is. Um, and certainly in the age of, you know, the, the last year and a half that we've all lived through, um, you know, those feelings of loss and grief are, are center stage for, for so many of us. So, so just thank you for bringing that to the show. Um, so we are going to talk today, uh, not directly about uh, a particulate matter, um, but we are going to talk about some technologies that can help reduce particulate matter uh, as well as other pollution. Um, so we're going to talk about a working paper that you recently published with RFF colleagues called The Value of Advanced Energy Funding, Projected Effects of Proposed U.S. Funding for Advanced Energy Technologies. Folks can find a link to it in the show notes if they want to read along as they're listening to us talk. Um, so we're going to talk about what you found in that analysis in just a minute, but can you start by giving us a sense of why this research question is particularly important right now? Sure. One of the reasons it's particularly important right now is that Congress has to decide how much money to allocate to research, development, and demonstration, that I'll call that R&D, for advanced energy technologies, clean energy technologies that are emerging technologies. Um, there are a couple of reasons why this year Congress might significantly increase funding. The first is that a significant bipartisan, truly bipartisan clean energy bill passed Congress a few months ago. Uh, uh, it's the Energy Act of 2020. Uh, it passed in December. It was signed by President Trump as part of a big omnibus bill that included a lot of other things. Uh, it authorized uh, more than a billion dollars a year of additional funding for the five emerging clean energy technologies that we consider in the study that you mentioned. Uh, but it's only an authorization. And the way most U.S. government funding works is that the Congress has to decide each year how much funding to actually allocate. Um, and and so they have to decide that in this first pivotal year uh, for you know, 2022, and then they have to decide that in each successive year. Uh, by the way, the first two of our four reports in this project came out before the decision on the passage of the Energy Act of 2020. Uh, the, the second reason that Congress might uh, increase funding for these advanced energy technologies is as part of stimulus, as part of the infrastructure legislation that's being uh, pr probably as we speak, negotiated between uh, Democrats and Republicans um, or as part of other stimulus. So it's a really big, important decision year for for this kind of uh, R&D. &D. And uh, our purpose is to provide reliable, rigorous analysis that policymakers of all across the political spectrum can trust to help them decide uh, what positions to take uh, and what kinds of, you know, how to craft the the funding uh, or other decisions on the development of these clean emerging technologies. That's great. Thank you, Dan. And um, yeah, that distinction between authorization and appropriation is one that people in D.C. probably understand, but many others do not. And it's such an important one. So uh, you also gave me the chance to uh, not ring my acronym bell because you spelled out the most important acronym of the day, which is research, development and demonstration. But I've got it here, so I'm just going to play it anyway. OK. OK. Now that's all done with the acronym bell. Um You've mentioned a couple times uh, five advanced energy technologies, but I don't think uh, you've told us what they are. So um, can you highlight what they are and help give us a sense of where they are in terms of their current technological readiness and cost? 
sure they are the five emerging uh clean energy technologies in the energy act of 2020 that is the ones for which additional rd and d funding is authorized in the energy act of 2020 they are advanced nuclear advanced geothermal carbon capture and sequestration from from natural gas and coal use uh, electricity storage and direct from air capture of carbon dioxide and what these all have in common is that they all are emerging technologies that can allow the energy system to go beyond the emission reductions that you can inexpensively achieve with wind solar and the existing other clean resources like the the dams and nuclear power plants that exist already in north america and all five of these technologies can help go beyond what what wind and solar with their you know variable <laughs> patterns uh, uh can achieve the most ready of them i would say is electricity storage uh it, it just in the last couple years uh companies uh, uh electric power uh generation companies and utilities have started building uh large battery banks that are connected to the grid that are substitutes for new power plants or substitutes for new transmission lines so some kinds of storage are are now you know have now reached the point of ju of of just being commercially uh viable um i would say the next most ready of these technologies is carbon capture and this is i think i know this is news to some people but carbon capture from coal or natural gas is already occurring in several places around the world uh and including in north america um and so you know that one is uh is off the ground but for both of these there's a lot of there is hopefully a lot of potential to make them considerably less costly through research development and demonstration of, of less expensive ways of doing them. The least ready technologies of this set of five, I would say, are probably advanced geothermal and uh, direct from air capture of, of carbon dioxide. Uh, anybody who's interested can go to rff.org and there you can search for explainers on actually all five of these technologies to discuss the technologies. Uh, uh, one that that I think, you know, I think they're all interesting, but one of them that I highlight a little is advanced geothermal. Uh, conventional geothermal, actually, I think there was a prior podcast on this, but conventional geothermal uses places where there's hot steam underground. Those are few and far between. Um, but but it, to use really a lot of uh, geothermal for power generation or industry or whatever, um, there aren't enough places like that, not nearly enough. So advanced geothermal would typically tap a place where it's hot underground, but there's no steam. And also typically you have to drill quite deep, several kilometers to get to those temperatures. Um, everywhere, if you drill deep enough, you get to very high temperatures. <laughs> right. Eventually uh, you get to the middle of the lollipop. Yes. But even if you just go a few kilometers, you get to pretty high or in some cases, very high temperatures. And um, there's a lot of promise here to apply technologies that have been developed in the last 20 years or so for natural gas extraction to advanced geothermal, um, where you drill deep enough and then you and then you introduce a fluid that goes through the the hot rock down there, and then you have to recapture it and bring it back up and use it to you know drive a power plant or industry or whatever. 
Um, and uh, however, the temperatures and often the depths are a lot greater for this geothermal than they are for natural gas extraction. So there are adaptations needed, and that's a part of what the RD&D for advanced geothermal would be about. That's so interesting. And um, so you mentioned uh, our previous podcast on this topic. It was um, we actually called the episode Hot Rocks, which was a Rolling Stones reference. And um, and it featured Tim Latimer of uh, Fervo Energy. And um, we actually didn't talk about the sort of fluid injection, but it makes me think that maybe I should add a chapter to my book about fracking on uh, geothermal fracking. Uh -huh, yeah. OK. I remember that you didn't talk about that. So I felt not so bad about mentioning it. <laughs> That's great. So um so, Dan, let's move now to the study itself. Um, talk first a little bit about the methods that you used, and then we'll talk about the results. So to state the obvious, uh, we don't know what's going to happen in the future, which means it's hard to estimate how our D&D funding today will affect costs in the future relative to the baseline where we didn't have that additional RD&D funding. But um, so can you help us understand like how you went about estimating those future costs? Because uh, I know it was a really interesting process. Yeah. Actually, a segue from what we were just talking about is that part of our methods involved getting estimates from experts. And Tim Latimer was one of our experts for geothermal. Oh, cool. So our overall goal uh, in this project is to predict the effects that additional RD&D funding for these five emerging clean energy technologies will have on their costs and on society. And it's really difficult to do that well. We ended up using a combination of two pretty challenging methods. One is some pretty uh, rigorous expert elicitation uh, where we elicited, uh, we, we asked for uh, projections from experts in a structured, very structured and detailed method. Uh, and the other is simulation modeling of the of the power sector and the whole economy. So the first half of that is uh, is to project the effects of the additional RD&D funding on the cost of the technologies. And that's the part for which we used expert elicitation. Um, the, it was time consuming and challenging for us and the cost experts. Uh, we had to identify more than 150 qualified experts uh, in order to get a, about five per technology, so that's about 25 in total, to, to agree to participate because these are very busy people. It takes a tremendous amount of expertise and combination of kinds of expertise in order to be able to project well what the effects of additional R&D funding on the cost of a technology will be. Uh, and then we put them through those 25 or so, we put them through what may be the most grueling energy technology expert elicitation ever. We needed cost projections for 2035. If the uh, We needed them in the case that the legislation was not enacted, and we needed them in the case that the legislation and additional funding were enacted. And this was tough to do because we had some unusual needs. We needed detailed cost data and performance data for the technologies in each of the scenarios 
in order to harmonize their answers so that, for example, we could use the same fuel cost assumptions for all five experts' answers for a given uh, for a given technology. So and harmonize them in that kind of way. Um, and also because we were going to use them in sophisticated simulation modeling that requires knowing the fixed costs, the variable costs, the cost to build, etc. Uh, and, and so um, in each scenario, we needed to know about at least 10 different kinds of costs or performance characteristics for the technology, which I, I mentioned a few of them a moment ago, along with others. And for some of the technologies, it was, it was even more than 10. Um, we also had to take into account uncertainty, uh, the fact that they could give us a, a sort of central estimate, but but also, you know, the technologies might end up being a lot harder to 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 uh, make inexpensive than the experts think, or they might end up being easier to make inexpensive than than the experts' sort of central estimates. So we actually asked them for, in each scenario, we asked them for an uh, an optimistic, a medium, and a pessimistic cost projection, where each of those is defined in a mathematical way, 10th, 50th, and 90th percentiles of uh, of levelized cost. Uh, and designing this to be uh, to be rigorous, to be clear, to be uh, uh, exactly suited to the necessary purposes, uh, etc., required a lot of hard thinking. It required uh, breaking new ground methodologically, and it required um, careful crafting and testing and revising of our uh, of our expert elicitation, very detailed questionnaire and and protocols. For the experts, for each of the experts, it took several hours of really difficult judgments to answer our detailed uh, uh, questionnaire and then to talk with us to make sure that they understood all the questions in the way that we had intended and so on. And we actually paid them each $1,000. Um, but in fact, you know, they have a lot of expertise. They're very busy. And so um, we really, they, they, they did this as a service uh, and we're grateful to them. The second half of the analysis is the simulations, the simulation modeling. Uh, for most of the technologies, we just simulated the power sector. Um, we took the cost projections from the experts and we used them in simulations. Uh, the key question here was if the costs fall by the amounts projected by the experts, then how large would be the benefits of that to society in terms of lower bills and lower emissions and so on? Great. Um, so let's get to some of the results. Um, what did the experts say about the different technologies? And then next we'll talk about uh, the benefits to society. Yeah. Okay. So one of the things we asked the experts was how much additional private R&D spending would be stimulated by this additional federal funding of R&D. And the average answer was $1.17 of additional private R&D spending uh, stimulated by each dollar of additional federal R&D spending. So, so now on to, to, to answering your question. Uh, the experts projected on average uh, across the technologies and across the experts that the additional R&D funding in the Energy Act of 2020 would reduce the costs of the technologies in 2035 by 22%. That is, in 2035, the costs of the technologies will be 22% less than they would be in 2035 with out this additional R&D funding. The range goes from 29% uh, 
effect on cost for geothermal and direct from air capture of carbon dioxide uh, down to 9% cost reduction for uh, carbon capture and sequestration from, from natural gas. Uh, the reason that the cost reduction is largest for advanced geothermal and direct from air capture of carbon dioxide might be that those are the technologies at the earliest stages of their development, as I actually mentioned earlier. Um, so there are still relatively low cost things that can be done to reduce the costs of those technologies. And the reason that the, that the projected cost uh, reduction for carbon capture and sequestration might be is, is the lowest might be that for that, if you're building a power plant with carbon capture and sequestration, a lot of your costs, probably more than half, uh, according to the estimates I've examined, uh, are actually just from building and operating a power plant. <laughs> and that's, of course, a very mature activity, and there aren't a lot of easy, low-cost low opportunities for reducing the cost of that. So overall, the new power plant with carbon capture, you know, there are fewer parts of it for which you can inexpensively achieve cost reductions. And now, I'd like to welcome a special guest, RFF fundraiser Tommy Wren. Hey, Tommy. Thanks for having me, Daniel. I'm a huge fan of the show. I do love my true crime podcast, but I have to say, Resources Radio is a close second. For those of you who are as big a fan of Resources Radio as I am, I really hope you'll show your support by making a donation. And how can our listeners do that, Tommy? Great question. The easiest way is by going to rff.org support and making an online gift. Well, that sounds easy. How else can listeners donate? Another great question. That's why they have you as a host, isn't it? Indeed. If you go to that same website, rff.org support, you can find out about a variety of other ways to give. Great. Thanks, Tommy. Thanks, Daniel. All right. So you've given us the uh, range of cost uh, estimates from the experts, but you also mentioned earlier that uh, we're not just talking about technology costs. We're talking about benefits to society from these uh, government investments in RD&D. So can you describe what some of those societal benefit estimates were in your analysis? Sure. Yes. So first, let me say that the additional spending on R&D uh, in the in the bill is not projected to come close to eliminating emissions, but it does reduce emissions and costs for industry and electricity bills quite significantly. Uh, it also reduces the cost of things made with energy. And there can be spillover benefits. For example, if it makes rechargeable batteries cheaper than anything that uses rechargeable batteries that may have nothing to do with power generation, uh, is likely to become less expensive as a result of this additional uh, R&D funding. So to estimate the benefits of the cost reductions estimated by the experts, we need an economic model uh, that can project how much each technology would be used at each projected cost level and how much that would reduce costs for customers and how much it would reduce environmental damage. So for this, we use a model of the power sector called the Engineering Economic and Environmental Electricity Simulation Tool, or EAST, which we actually spell E4ST. Uh, it allows us to project the effects of these cost reductions just in the power sector. Um, the study is also conservative in some other ways. Among those, uh, we assume that the costs don't go down further after 2035, and we assume that the benefits of the cost reductions, they only occur from 2040 to 2060. Um, we simulated the future without any new national 
clean energy or environmental policies, just with a fairly conservative set of assumed state and utility clean energy policies uh, based on current trends. And we estimated that the average benefit to cost ratio per technology is about seven. What that means is that for every $1 of additional RD&D spending, both the government and private included in that, um, for every one additional dollar of, of, of spending, you get about $7 of benefits in the form of reduced electricity bills and reduced emissions mainly. Um, actually, for two of the five technologies, the benefits cost ratio was less than one. And that was for CCS, that, uh, for, for carbon capture and, and sequestration uh, from coal and natural gas, and for direct from air capture of carbon dioxide. But for the other three technologies, the benefit to cost ratio was between six and 20. Wow. I've mentioned benefit to cost ratios, but I haven't told you the actual dollar totals of these benefits. The estimated benefit per technology on average is about $30 billion. That's a net present value. $30 billion per technology, from, assuming that this additional funding in the Energy Act of 2020 lasts for 10 years. So very large estimated benefits. Yeah, that is fascinating. Um so I, I wish I could dig more <laughs> into these, and um, I, I'm sure our listeners do too. So we would refer you to the paper to, to really dig into this stuff. Let me ask you one more question before we go to our top of the stack uh, segment, which is uh, about policy. You mentioned a moment ago that you assume no new major federal climate policy uh, or other you know related energy policy that would affect uh, emissions or these technologies. Um, but I think you also did some sort of sensitivity analyses where, you know, you tried things out with uh, additional policies like a cap and trade program or a clean energy standard. Can you give us a sense of how those policies affected your estimates? Sure. Yes. So the other uh, the other policy scenario, the sort of background scenario that we used uh, in the simulations uh, was a national clean electricity standard that uh, requires that the electricity generation uh, in the U.S. be 94% clean. So roughly speaking, that means, for example, 94% from non-emitting sources and then 6% from like coal and natural gas with, with, with regular emissions, uh, for example. Uh, and, uh, and that might make the cost reductions more valuable because now you really need... You really, you, you, in a sense, you, you need these technologies. Something like them is required. Um, and we do indeed see that in the simulation results. With that national, that sort of moderate, um, compared to the proposals that have, that have been put forth in Congress, that kind of moderately stringent uh, national clean electricity standard, we, we, we get an average benefit to cost ratio from the additional RD&D funding of greater than 10. So now for each dollar of additional... RD&D spending, the benefits to society are more than $10. Uh, and, and now for all five of the technologies, the benefit to cost ratio is more than five. Uh, and the total dollar value of the benefits uh, in this case is about $40 billion per technology. Overall, I would say that these are conservative estimates, partly for the reasons that I've already mentioned and partly because we only estimate the benefits in the 
U.S. power sector. We don't estimate them outside the power sector in the U.S., and we don't estimate them for any sector outside of the United States. So, you know, there's about uh, four times as much power generation outside of the United States as there is in the United States, and there's a lot of energy use and a lot of um, opportunities to reduce emissions outside of the power sector. Um, so these technologies could also be very valuable. All of them actually have significant, very significant potential applications outside of the power sector. For one of them, we actually have uh, a whole economy-wide analysis done by our RFF colleague, Mark Hafstead. Uh, his model was well, very well suited to analysis of the economy-wide effects of making direct from air capture of carbon dioxide less costly. And he estimated that the benefits of additional funding for that technology are 27 times the cost, or more than five times the benefits that we got in the electricity sector model. Wow, that's so interesting. A couple of things I have, uh, I'd like to mention. One is that making the technologies less costly is perhaps the best way to encourage reductions in other countries. And also, it could be great for U.S. export revenues, selling these technologies overseas. So all in all, this additional funding for research and development and demonstration seems like a, an amazingly good investment. And we actually have something to say about further RD&D funding beyond the Energy Act of 2020. Uh, and that is that we observe in the results that as you shift the range of likely costs of each technology downward, the benefits of the cost reduction actually grow at an increasing rate. The reason for this is that the that as you shift the range of like you know likely cost of the technology down through greater RD and D, the technology becomes more likely to be widely used, and that means that the cost reductions apply to a larger amount of generation, and so the benefit of those cost reductions becomes larger, and uh, and this implies that additional funding beyond what's in the Energy Act of 2020 could actually produce larger benefits per dollar than the funding that's in the Energy Act of 2020 or similar benefits per dollar. Normally, we expect that additional spending on something produces diminishing returns, but in this case, there's reason to believe that they could actually be increasing returns to investment. So this has implications for federal infrastructure legislation or for other potential stimulus funding of, uh, of, of RD&D. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're articulating so many of the reasons that um, that our D&D activities are often looked upon favorably, right? They have some bipartisan support um, and they're so valuable in so many parts of society uh, and your work quantifying them is so fascinating and useful. And once more, I'll just direct listeners to uh, to the paper, uh, which we'll link to in the show notes uh, so they can dig into all the all the juicy details. Uh, but let's close it out now, Dan, with um, our last question, our top of the stack. So asking you what you've read or watched or heard recently that you think is really interesting and that you'd recommend to folks. And I'll start off with an article that I actually read just a couple days ago in the New York Times, which is uh, called Why Does Disaster Aid Often Favor White People? Um, by Chris Flavel, June 7th, 2021. Uh, it's just a fascinating uh, kind of anecdotal look w with some data behind it as well on how, you know, recovery funding from FEMA and other organizations often disproportionately favors white people. 
um, has something to do with housing markets and the legacy of redlining and other discriminatory practices. But it's just a really fascinating, eye-opening piece for me uh, that I think other people will find interesting too. How about you, Dan? What's on the top of your stack? Yeah, I second that. Uh, also, uh, actually, I'd like to mention not actually not a, a reading or something, but a way of consuming written material that, that I use a lot. Uh, and that is to convert it to audio and listen to it while I'm doing other relatively mindless things like uh, chores and commuting and exercising and so on. So when I encounter something that I'd like to listen to, you know, maybe I don't have time to read it then, but I, and I think I'd like to listen to it later. I on my computer I copy it to a, a Word document, and then when that document gets you know long enough, reasonably long, I paste the text into text to speech software such as text aloud. This is quite inexpensive software. And uh, that converts it into an audio file, which uh, uses a pretty smart uh, digital voice that does even inflection and, you know, of sentences pretty well. Um, and, uh, and then I just copy that to my phone and listen to it, you know, as I said, when I'm doing other things. Uh, it's a way of being able to do a lot more reading, so to speak, than I'd otherwise be able to do. That is great. I think that's our first meta recommendation. It's like a recommendation about ways to ways to enjoy things. That's really great, Dan. Thank you. Um, well, one more time, Dan Sean from Resources for the Future. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show, talking to us about this fascinating work. Congratulations uh, on finishing up the paper to you uh, and the whole team. Uh, thank you very much, Daniel, uh, and to Elizabeth and the others who make the the program possible. Uh, I also want to uh, acknowledge my very important other team members, Catherine Cleary, Christoph Funke, uh, and Stephen Whitkin. And I expect that uh, some of you listeners will be hearing from them in the future uh, because they are all tremendously uh, capable and motivated people. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Dan. Thanks, Daniel. You've been listening to Resources Radio. Learn how to support resources for the future at rff.org support. If you have a minute, we'd really appreciate you leaving us a rating or a comment on your podcast platform of choice. Also, feel free to send us your suggestions for future episodes. Resources Radio is a podcast from Resources for the Future. RFF is an independent nonprofit research institution in Washington, D.C., our mission is to improve environmental, energy, and natural resource decisions through impartial economic research and policy engagement. The views expressed on this podcast are solely those of the podcast guests and may differ from those of RFF experts, its officers, or its directors. RFF does not take positions on specific legislative proposals. Resources Radio is produced by Elizabeth Wasson, with music by me, Daniel Ramey. Join us next week for another episode.